Welcome to the PA Books Podcast. PA Books is a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. This program features interviews with authors of books on Pennsylvania people, history, sports, business, nature, and politics. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, James McClure and Scott Mingus, authors of The Dogs of War in Our Midst. Our guests on PA Books today are Scott Mingus and James McClure, and they are the authors of this book, The Dogs of War in Our Midst, Civil War Perspectives from York County, PA. Jim McClure, we'll start with you. For people who are not familiar with it, where is York County? York County is uh, 50 miles north of Baltimore, uh, just sitting on the Mason-Dixon line. And that's significant because we have, uh, you know, we're, we've historically been north and south oriented versus east and west with the Susquehanna River uh, kind of hard to get across uh, to get to Philadelphia. We've evolved, we kind of evolved north and south. And then we have, a, 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 a before 1800, we had a 65 mile uh, um, uh, border with uh, the South, Mason-Dixon line. After 1800, Adams County split off, and now it's still 45 mile border. So we're really, you could say that we're a, a northern county with a southern exposure, or a southern county with a northern exposure. However, you want to think about it. Scott, at uh, at the time of your book, uh, what was the what was the area like? I mean, if you had wandered around York County in 1863, what would you have seen? Well, this county would have been quite rural in that area. There were a lot of mills, a lot of farms, a heavily agrarian society dotted with fairly small towns. Uh, York was the largest uh, community, in fact, then and now uh, between Baltimore and Harrisburg, uh, 8,600 people. There are only two towns, though, in York County that were uh, roughly a thousand apiece that was Wrightsville and Hanover uh, and everything else was just small little farming villages and farming communities uh, with a couple improved highways so at least uh, what's today US Route 30 as well as the north-south uh, main highway that went to, to between Harrisburg and Baltimore uh, were all improved but a lot much of the county was small rural back country roads and, and, and a, a feature of the county as well was a very important feature was an early north-south railroad that uh, between Baltimore and York then Harrisburg the Northern Central Railway and that uh, kind of strengthened our tie ties with the south now that railroad also went uh, east towards Lancaster and, uh, and of course north towards but that was uh, important in the Civil War as a way of uh, transporting troops and and so on was yeah, the, and the yeah, other railroad route, just to finish that, ran from Hanover Junction in southern York County west through Hanover onto Gettysburg. How far from Gettysburg is, uh, is the city of York? It, it, at the time, it was, uh, uh, you know, the, a borough of York at, at the time. It had Chief Burgess as mayor, and it's about 30 miles. And it's often, I don't know if this is scientifically done uh, or was intentional, but it's in, in at least this part of Pennsylvania, all the county seats are about 30 miles away from each other. And I think it probably makes sense because they wanted, they didn't want market centers to be, uh, you know, competing against each other. So, so there might have been a tendency to space them out. Was the Underground Railroad much of a presence in York County before the war? Yeah, it was actually it was fairly significant. Uh, I've written two books on the Underground Railroad in York County as well, and some scholars actually will tell you that the Underground Railroad, the term, 
originated uh, between Lancaster and York County, so the Ohio and some other places will will take exception to that. But there were literally, you know, thousands of uh, freedom seekers who came through York County over a 40 to 60 year period, uh, and there were a number of uh, conductors and agents in the Underground Railroad in York County. In fact, I can identify in one of my books a list of some 50 to 55 different names of people that we believe were involved. If, if you look uh, on uh, a map of where enslaved people were uh, at the time of the Civil War, uh, there's a kind of a plume, a gray plume that is uh, facing really towards your county in the Susquehanna, meaning the, the density of population of uh, enslaved people was, was heavier in uh, Maryland, Northern Virginia, uh, and, uh, and even counties that are bordering your county uh, had, uh, Hartford County, for example, had, was 10 percent enslaved people. And then you go down to, let's say, Howard County, and it might have been 30 percent enslaved. So there's a heavy, bottom line is there's a heavy uh, population of enslaved people within a, really a day's walk of York County. Did slavery still exist in York County in 1863? No, the last slave in uh, York County was uh, died actually in the early 1840s near Hanover. Uh, Pennsylvania had actually had outlawed slavery uh, after the Gradual Abolition Act uh, of 17, what was it? 1780. Uh, that law uh, basically made it uh, illegal to hold anybody in bondage unless you had a license uh, and paid certain taxes on it every year. Uh, so if you did that, you could maintain your slave. But uh, following that law in 1780, uh, there was a 28-year period in which uh, people who were held in bondage against their will could be uh, indentured. Uh, but at the end of that period of time, uh, by 1808, uh, unless you were paying these taxes, slavery was essentially dead in York County. We started with some 600 or so uh, by in the late uh, 18th century, uh, and they were down to less than a dozen by 1820. Yeah, the 1790 census has, uh, as Scott was saying, has the uh, enslaved population in York County at uh, about 500, 499. Then it had an equal uh, freed uh, black population. So York County was second to Philadelphia in 1790 in the number of, uh, of uh, African Americans in, the, in their county. Now at that time, York County went all the way over through Adams County. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, uh, there, so York County, uh, you know, had, had a connection with uh, freed uh, people and, and enslaved uh, uh, blacks as well. If, uh, if someone was using the, uh, the Underground Railroad to escape from the south and they made it to York County, where would they go from there? Where would they, what was the route beyond York County? Yeah, uh, that's a good question, Brian. There are a couple points. One was York County was not a place to stay. Uh, in the early days, the Underground Railroad, it was fairly safe, but as time went on and more and more slave catchers, or to use uh, an old term, a slave hunter, uh, came into this county, uh, it became fairly clear you need to move people across the Susquehanna River. So a key part of the Underground Railroad network here in York was the ability to get people either east to Wrightsville or north towards Harrisburg, Middletown Ferry, et cetera, uh, and get people into Dauphin or uh, preferably Lancaster counties. And then from there, they would move them uh, typically either to Philadelphia or north uh, eventually towards New York, especially as the Underground Railroad developed in the 1840s and 50s, uh, particularly after the passage of Underground, uh, the Fugitive Slave Law in 1850, moving folks to upstate New York and onto Canada became more important. 
were there examples you found of, of kidnapping of free blacks in York County and taking them south? Yeah, I mean, the one that's probably the most prevalent, probably the best known, was a situation that occurred uh, uh, with a lady by the name of Margaret Morgan. She had been born enslaved in Maryland. Uh, she had gotten married, lived in Pennsylvania with her freeborn husband, and believed she had been set free by uh, a family uh, that owned her uh, legally in Maryland. Uh, but it turns out she actually legally had not been freed. Uh, they never issued any paperwork. So when the, her owner, uh, a guy named John Ashmore, died, his son-in-law and his widow made plans to come to Pennsylvania. Uh, they hired a professional slave catcher and an attorney and two other individuals. So four people came into uh, Lower Chancellor Township in the southeastern part of York County, uh, grabbed her and her six children and brought them back to Maryland. Make a long story short, this ended up as a legal case between Maryland and Pennsylvania because their laws at the time disagreed on the idea of freedom. Uh, in Pennsylvania, if you stayed here for six months, you were free. If you were born in Pennsylvania, you were free. By Maryland law, if you were uh, enslaved in Maryland, no matter where you lived, you were still enslaved, and all children of an enslaved mother remained a uh, slave. Uh, so those laws conflicted, and they finally decided to let this uh, play itself out in the Supreme Court, which ruled in Maryland's favor. Uh, and unfortunately, the, uh, the lady, Margaret Morgan, and her children disappeared from history, presumably having been uh, sold into slavery into the Deep South after being returned to Maryland. How did uh, York County feel about Abraham Lincoln in the 1860 election? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, York County was uh, had is a border county, and uh, in in that way, as we've already talked about a little bit, kind of kind of conflicted, and so uh, it, it tended to choose a, a middle ground type of approach, uh, the Copperhead position, the Peace Democrat position. On the one hand, you had the abolitionists, uh, and then on the other hand, you had those that were solidly behind slavery. York County, in the main tended to be, in the middle, they would say, we don't have uh, enslaved people here. Uh, you know, why should we fight a war over it? And Abraham Lincoln stands for war. And so we're not going to back him. Just let us alone. It's not our issue. That's a Southern issue, not our issue. And so it was kind of, it was, uh, you know, uh, whenever the two elections involving Abraham Lincoln, in both elections, county voters uh, voted against Abraham Lincoln. In fact, in 1864, the margin against him was greater than in 1860. Yeah, and to add to what uh, Jim said earlier as well, one thing that's important to realize about York County, uh, to Jim's point about this being a north-south county, is those townships along the, the Maryland border uh, voted extremely heavily against Lincoln for the Democratic candidates, uh, either John C. Breckinridge or Stephen Douglas in 1860 or George McClellan in 1864. The farther north or east you got in York County, the more Republican support there was. So by the time you got to uh, the townships along the Susquehanna River or in the northern portion of the, of the township or a county, uh, closer to places like uh, Dillsburg and Rossville, Wellsville, that area, Franklin Town, those townships tended to vote more Republican. But as a whole, uh, because there were far more people living in the southern part and the feeling uh, in and around York was more uh, middle ground or pro-Democrat, uh, pro Lincoln did not carry the county in either election. Yeah, the, the uh, Democrat candidate who received the most uh, votes in the county, uh, Breckenridge, John C. Breckenridge, was also the favorite in the south. There's only a couple uh, Pennsylvania counties that backed Breckenridge, and, and York County was one of those.
And Jim, you mentioned the term copperhead. What does that mean? Well, it, it means a peace Democrat position. It's a it's a position that was uh, that just wanted a negotiated settlement. Didn't want war the first uh, union as it was, constitution as it is, and the uh, Negroes uh, where they are as they as the word they used. Uh, so when. When uh, the occupation came in 1863, or the Civil War is approaching, the Confederates were on their way. Um, first of all, where were the Confederates headed when they came into York County? Where did they come from, and where were they going? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, the uh, Robert E. Lee, on uh, June 3rd, 1863, sent his army northward. Their goal, of course, was to head to Pennsylvania. Uh, on June 23rd, uh, part of Lee's army was split off under about 6,600 men under Major General Jubal Anderson Early, and they were headed east across the turnpike uh, towards Gettysburg and on to York. Uh, now, Early's orders were to burn the bridge at Wrightsville, but because the state militia was so utterly inefficient, to use the words he did, uh, he decided to go to Wrightsville and capture the bridge and head into Lancaster County, uh, mount his men on a thousand horses, and head towards Harrisburg. So that's what he tells the uh, in his post-war civil post-Civil War writings. Uh, but short term, their immediate goal was to capture York. Uh, ransom York for as much money as they could possibly get, capture supplies, obviously break apart that road that led to uh, Maryland, and also uh, you know, break apart the railroads as well. And a key part of their goal, of course, was to grab supplies, uh, Pennsylvania being relatively free from warfare. Were they on their way to Harrisburg or Philadelphia, or how, how big was their was their goal? How, yeah, how, on how June expansive? 23rd, Robert E. Lee uh, sent a word to Lieutenant General Richard Stoddard Yule in Chambersburg and told him, and I quote, uh, capture Harrisburg if it comes within your means. So Lee didn't have any firm plans to capture Harrisburg. His number one goal was to engage the Union Army in Pennsylvania and defeat it in open, in, on an open battlefield. Uh, if he happened to take Harrisburg, that was, that was something of benefit. Uh, now, you know, Lee, Lee's orders can be construed that he really did want to take Harrisburg. Uh, Yule, uh, his uh, subordinate, headed that way while Early headed towards York. Uh, and in fact, uh, just right down the road here from the PCN studios, there were a couple small battles fought as the Confederates approached Harrisburg. How many troops were they bringing with them? Uh, Yule's army, Yule's corps was more than 20,000 men. Uh, he kept roughly two-thirds of those for himself, two of his three corps, while sending again 6,600 of his men east on today's U.S. Route 30 towards York. So we're talking about, you know, 20 to 22,000 Confederates actually came into Pennsylvania uh, between June uh, 20th and June 20th, uh, June 23. The vanguard, of course, of the 70,000 uh, that Lee would bring in total to bear at the Battle of Gettysburg. Yeah, we, we count uh, 11,200 11, Confederates in York County through that duration of the Gettysburg campaign. That's about one out of seven of every Lee, uh, Lee's, uh, of Lee's troops. It, uh, York at the time had a population of 8,600, the borough of York. And uh, so, and Early had about 6,600, uh, the main division coming through York. So it overwhelmed York. It overwhelmed York County. How'd they know where they were going? Did they have maps? Yeah, that's a great story because uh, back in, obviously in 1862, the goal was to come to Pennsylvania. In fact, Stonewall Jackson had, uh, 
a plan uh, they disclosed to a Confederate congressman that if you give me 36,000 men, I'll take the war to the banks of the Susquehanna River. And he had convinced Lee throughout the summer of 1862 to come to Pennsylvania. And that was the goal back in the uh, September of 1862 uh, during that invasion. So they had started preparing maps of Pennsylvania even then. But in February of 1863, uh, Jackson famously told a cartographer named uh, Jedediah Hotchkiss, make me a map of the Valley of Virginia through Pennsylvania and keep it a profound secret. Uh, so there were teams of spies that came into uh, you know, five or six counties here in South Central Pennsylvania uh, who were sounding uh, the fords on the Susquehanna River. They were uh, spying on the leading roads. They were taking notes on where the chief farmers were, uh, where the industry was. So there was a very extensive spy network. And Hotchkiss did produce a very detailed map, including the names of almost every key farmer. Uh, and that map still exists even today. And copies were distributed to his leading generals. Did, mm. did your county or anywhere in Pennsylvania have defenses? I mean, did, did these Confederate soldiers meet any resistance on their way up? Yeah. Uh, the uh, governor of Pennsylvania had called out 50,000 volunteers at Abraham Lincoln's request. Only got 7,000 volunteers, but he organized them into seven relatively equal regiments of Pennsylvania volunteer militia that were due to serve for the duration of the emergency. Uh, but that wasn't enough. He needed far more troops. So he ended up contacting the Democratic governors of New Jersey and New York, uh, Joel Parker and Horatio Seymour, respectively. And they had standing state National Guard units that were already in existence, that were formal uh, groups or organizations, where Pennsylvania, by law, did not have standing militia. You just called them out when you needed them, and they were pretty much volunteers. So more than 10,000 New York National Guardsmen actually ended up coming here to the Harrisburg, Camp Hill, uh, Lemoyne area. Uh, and in fact, the, the, the two Civil War battles they alluded to that were uh, fought here in Cumberland County, where we stand, were basically done by New York and Pennsylvania State Militia. Uh, they also had small engagements at Wrightsville. There were engagements uh, 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 that happened in uh, Franklin County as well, uh, in the southern area near Greencastle. So the, the state militia tried, uh, but they were facing veterans that, uh, you know, kind of overwhelmed them in skill quality and, and uh, combat experience. It's no secret, uh, is in the newspapers and telegraph that the Confederates were coming. And it was some, uh, in your county at least, it was a point of great frustration to some folks who tried to uh, uh, generate uh, defenses and so forth uh, against, um, you know, the Confederates. They tried to, you know, to get uh, entrenchments dug and and just tried to have to be generally prepared. And you know, it was kind of the, this this uh, middle ground area. The Confederates really, in some ways, didn't represent an enemy because they were our cousins. You know, they they were our business partners. Uh, we, we really didn't like the war anyway. And, you know, and so why should we go and, uh, you know, do all this, all this work to try to resist them? Uh, besides, we were outnumbered. And there's a, a general who was not, uh, he was between assignments, my, my name, William B. Franklin, who was in your county at the time. And he said, if you don't do preparations, you're going to regret this. Your children will regret this because you have let them walk on soil. You'll be humiliated. Yeah, uh, there were just some defenses in York County itself that were uh, 
at the railroad's behest, they were starting to build earthworks to protect the railroad crossing at Wrightsville. There were also rifle pits uh, at most of the major bridges or railroad crossings uh, throughout York County. Here in uh, Cumberland County, where we're at, uh, sitting right now, there's still a major fortification. Traces of it left at 8th and Ohio Street in Lemoyne uh, called Fort Couch which was one of the defenses of the New York State Militia in particular was manning uh, during the Gettysburg campaign. So there are vestiges of the Gettysburg campaign remaining in parts of South Central Pennsylvania, including in York County. Jim, you are a longtime newspaper editor. Oh, you, I guess, read a lot of the newspaper reports of this as it unfolded. Right. What, what's it like reading a newspaper from 1863? How did they report on it? Yeah, it depends on what your politics were. In those days, there were Democrat papers and Republican papers, and you were, uh, you, there weren't general purpose newspapers at that time. So you, if you were a Democrat paper, you saw it only from the Democratic point of view. And, uh, you know, and so it, the, uh, so that, that's the way they would report. And the dominant paper in York at the time was the York Gazette. It was a Democratic paper. The Democrats were outnumbered Republicans in those days, so the Democratic paper was the largest paper. So they had the biggest voice, and they were, they were very anti-Lincoln uh, the, the entire time. And so that was how I became engaged with the, the, the Civil War project to begin with, was I was studying David Small, who ran the York Gazette, and he also was Chief Burgess of York, so he had that dual title. In those days, you would have a dual title. So he's like the mayor and the editor yeah. of the newspaper. Yeah, so he could go make the news, and he could report <laughs> the news that he uh, just made. And that's exactly what happened during the, the uh, Confederate invasion. And you had a long-time career at the York Daily Record? Correct. Is that a successor in some way to the Gazette? Yes, the York Daily Record, uh, uh, you know, is... Uh, a couple times removed uh, from from the York Gazette, and that was one of the reasons I got in because I knew that was a predecessor paper, and uh, so I I kind of uh, started studying David Small and started studying the Gazette, uh, and uh, there was some ownership changes, m number of ownership uh, changes since then, but it, we do trace our heritage at the YDR back to that uh, moment. Now, Scott, your book starts with uh, the surrender of York to the Confederates, and, uh, and that was controversial. Why was it controversial? I think there are a couple reasons. Uh, number one, York, turns out, was the largest city in the entire North, uh, the free states, if you will, to follow the Confederate Army in the entire Civil War. Um, now, the controversy wasn't the fact the Confederates took the town, because they took many other places, but the controversy was the actions and behavior of some of York's leading citizens. Uh, on Saturday, June 27, 1863, a young, uh, early mid-20s, I guess, uh, businessman by the name of Arthur Briggs Farquhar actually rode from York uh, way into Adams County, uh, right to the, to the Adams County line, in fact, um, at a place called Abbottstown, and negotiated with a Confederate uh, general on his own for the protection of women and children of York. And then he rode back to York and found out it was unauthorized, and so as Jim mentioned uh, Chief Burgess Small. He and a bipartisan committee of York's leaders then rode some 10 miles west of York, uh, about halfway or so to Abbottstown, to where the Confederates had moved uh, during the afternoon to a new campsite of Farmer's uh, PO. And there they negotiated for the what they were hoping would be the peaceful occupation of York. So the controversy became the fact that York's leaders rode out of town seeking the Confederates to actively surrender their town as opposed to 
you know, passively waiting in the town square like the town leaders did in Hanover, or uh, encouraging the uh, the forces to put up a military resistance as happened at Wrightsville. Yeah, and in, in Carlisle, uh, one of the Confederate cavalry generals, uh, Jeb Stewart, the primary uh, cavalry general, uh, you know, besieged Carlisle and asked for Carlisle to surrender, and Carlisle said uh, refused. Uh, the, the general there refused. So it wasn't a, a, a given thing that you had to surrender. But York's, uh, York, some people say, well, Arthur Briggs uh, Farquhar kind of played York's hands and the, the, the leaders had to follow his lead. Uh, but it gets back to their, uh, the overall politics in town was not one to be hostile to, the, to an invading army like the Confederates. Now, in your book, you make a reference to the Confederates taking Gettysburg prior to moving into York. Had they done that? Yeah. In fact, on Friday, June 26th, uh, Jew Borley's division, remember, had gotten the orders on June 23rd to march east through Gettysburg and York. And just for so, perspective, this is a few days before the actual Battle of Gettysburg, correct. right? The Battle okay. of Gettysburg happens on July 1st through the 3rd. This is Friday, June 26th. So Jew Borley brings most of his uh, 6,600 men to bear on either Mumisburg or Gettysburg. Um, and in Gettysburg, they chased off one of these seven Pennsylvania Volunteer Militia regiments, uh, the 26th Pennsylvania Volunteer Militia, captured the town uh, during a very rainy, dismal afternoon. But Gettysburg wasn't the goal. They had no orders to stay there. So on Saturday morning, June 27th, their goal was York. So they abandoned Gettysburg and marched east. You also have them camping overnight in Dillsburg? Uh, there were some Confederates that camped near Dillsburg. Wayne Hampton's Confederate uh, brigade, uh, roughly a third or so of Jeb Stewart's force that went towards Carlisle, uh, stopped near Dillsburg and camped along Route 74, just northwest of the town. Those 11,000 Confederates that were in York really covered every part of York, uh, you know, in one way or another, whether they're going out uh, stealing food and uh, or requisitioning food from farmers. The only part that they didn't move into was the southeastern part, the Dillsburg, Stewartstown area, which is kind of the third, bottom third of the, of the county. Was there a big evacuation that, that preceded the Confederates coming in? Yeah, there were thousands of refugees that uh, both came up today's Route 11 through uh, Cumberland County and crossed the two bridges at Harrisburg. Uh, in fact, some accounts will suggest as many as 8,000 uh, African Americans were among the you know, tens of thousands of refugees that stormed into Harrisburg. Uh, and the equal numbers of crowds were also trying to get east towards, uh, towards Lancaster. Uh, and in fact, there was a traffic jam at the toll bridge in Lancaster on Saturday, June 27th, that stretched way into the countryside. Uh, and they had a uh, union officer had to actually suspend the collection of tolls at Wrightsville to get this throng to disperse and get them across the river. Were people hiding their horses? They, they, they hit everything they, they could. They, they found hollows and places up in the mountains to try to get away. The Confederates were natural horse thieves and uh, could, could find a good hiding place pretty easily. Uh, there's reports about um, the uh, folks in York County uh, burying their, their silverware and uh, putting their valuables out, out of reach. Uh, the Confederates, for the most part, uh, they, when they, they got into town, they, there was some uh, theft that went on. They were against 
president's orders really not to not to do that. And uh, but uh, but but everything was put away. A lot of the uh, banks moved their money over to Lancaster County and elsewhere to get out of that reach. What did the Confederates do for food? I mean, they were pretty far from home. Yeah. Yeah, they were actually foraging off the, the land, so uh, they were able to uh, get food from private farmers uh, from the supply. They actually did bring, of course, some supplies with them. Uh, they had herds of cattle that they had captured on the way north uh, as they went through uh, Virginia and Maryland, particularly in Maryland and in Franklin County, Pennsylvania. So Joe Borley, for example, when he came to York, had an entire herd of cattle came with him, but he still used part of the money that he ransomed York, uh, ransomed the town for $100,000, uh, got $28,610 and spent some of that back with York's uh, leading farmers and butchers to buy more meat for his men. He also requisitioned massive amounts of flour from the local flour mills, uh, and so they were well-fed in Pennsylvania. Can you paint a picture for us of the day that the Confederate Army marched into York City? That morning at about 10 a.m. when uh, the population was going to church, the Confederates came into town and they marched into the, um, you know, to the center square, at least one unit marched into the center square. The uh, flag was still flying, American flag was still flying atop a 110-foot flagpole. The, the town had left that up. And some, actually, some people argue the town hadn't surrendered because the flag was still flying. But they, they, left, the, they left the flag up and the Confederates took down the flag. And it was, it was a, an emotional moment whenever that flag came down, in part because that flag stands in the middle of Continental Square, stood in the middle of Continental Square 86 years before. <laughs> at that very spot right in the middle of the square, the Articles of Confederation were adopted. So th that was the first constitution in the United States. The Articles of Confederation brought the country, those 13 states together into a confederation. And so what did that represent whenever they took down the American flag in the middle of the square? It, it, whenever the Confederates took down the flag, it meant deconfederation. So it was, it was it, and the t people in the town understood that. They cried. There was tears. It was. It was a, among at least some people. Other people, when they came into town, you know, it was like a homecoming because again, their cousins, their, their kinsmen, were among the Confederate troops, and so it was kind of a mixed bag. There was, you know, there was. Uh, uh, a 34-year-old woman by the name of Cassandra Small wrote a diary. She said there's lines that are being drawn this day. You know, some were welcoming the Confederates and some were realized the impact. They really realized what was going on by the Confederates being in town. Did they raise the Confederate flag? No, they never, they did not. And, uh, you know, they just left the flag, but whether they were concerned about antagonizing the population, uh, they, they did not do that. The flagpole remained empty. Yeah, and in fact, as they marched through town, uh, you know, I've never seen many accounts that they actually were even flying their flags. Uh, they had typically had them furled, because keep in mind, uh, the first troops that went through at least at 10 o'clock, uh, between 10 and 11 o'clock on Sunday, June 28th, they weren't stopping in York. They were heading to Wrightsville. So, you know, stopping to put up a flag was certainly not something they were going to do. As the later troops arrived, as Jim mentioned, and General Early himself arrived, uh, no, they never put up their own flags. Uh, for that reason that, uh, you know, again, they, they weren't necessarily 
there to conquer York. They were there to hold the town temporarily before they moved either to Dillsburg or wherever else their orders were going to take them. Two other uh, scenes from that. Uh, Lewis Miller, who was a folk artist, uh, did a, a, a color drawing of that scene of the Confederates coming in and taking down the flag. The, the population of York, someone in York had cut the string for the flag, and so they had to, there's one account, they had to kind of uh, uh, you know, someone had to go up the flagpole to get the string to pull down the flag. So it was no small thing as a tall pole. But uh, the, the other thing that uh, I should have mentioned earlier was in the very vanguard, and Miller captures this really clear, clearly in one of his drawings, in the vanguard of the Confederate, what's called the Pioneer Corps, who were really engineers. They, they would clear obstructions in the road and so on. And the people looked at that the, them and they were, of course, grimy and they had axes and so forth. They're coming to dig our graves. Were there many the citizens line the line the streets and watch the parade come in? And were there many people who welcomed them? Well, I mean, keep in mind this is Sunday morning. There are actually a lot of people in the streets getting ready to go to church. Uh, some of the churches were still holding sessions. So there's an amazing contrast between these grimy, dirty, smelly Confederates that had been on the highways and roadways in Maryland and Pennsylvania uh, for days and days and day, weeks and weeks, actually. Uh, and so the, there were a fair number of people who were already out and about. Uh, so, yeah, there was a curiosity factor. Um, there were certainly people who stayed indoors and shut their uh, windows and shutters. But a, a, fair, a fair amount of York's population were certainly out in the streets to watch the Confederates uh, go by, uh, to the point where the Confederates ended up having to post guards at every major street corner uh, and on the sidewalks to kind of hold the people back just to make sure nobody interfered with the passage of the first troops that went through on the way to Wrightsville. There's one account of uh, one of the leading uh, women in town, uh, Mary Fisher, who was uh, in her house, and they, there was uh, a guard out in front of her house. Uh, and, and that's where she wrote uh, later, she said, and we borrowed this for the title of our book, The Dogs of War in Our Midst. That is, that's not a, a, something that someone casually would say. There's heavy emotion there. At the same time, there was others that would collect buttons or, or souvenirs from the Confederates. They would mill around the Confederates, including some reports that they actually uh, invited Confederates over to, for dinner. Was there much fraternization? Yeah, there was. There was. The streets were full, and so there was. There was some fear among some, but in other cases, you know, uh, it was. It was. They, they were. They looked up their cousins. Yeah, there was also uh, several cases where uh, curious York Countyans would come to the the old fairgrounds uh, in York, where James Carrington's battery of artillery had been parked by uh, Jill Borley. And people came to see the big guns. They wanted to, uh, you know, see the Confederate soldiers up up close. And so you almost had this curiosity effect that, uh, you know, people were coming out to to actually, you know, see these people, whether they supported the Confederate cause or not. This was a, you know, a major newsworthy event. Uh, and once people were satisfied that they weren't going to be harmed, uh, yeah, it was it was fairly clear that the, you know, people were were certainly interacting. Would you tell the story about Margaret Small? And she was, gave a bouquet of flowers to a, a yeah, Confederate? Yeah, uh, uh, General uh, John B. Gordon uh, was in the vanguard moving to Wrightsville, and he was handed um, a bouquet of flowers uh, along the way from a, a girl 10, 12 years old. 
in, in that range. And he, he looked at the bouquet and there was a beautifully handwritten note uh, that gave a lot of uh, information, accurate information as it turns about, about who was defending Wrightsville, which is where he was heading, who was defending the bridge at Wrightsville. And so he, so there was a, some type of spy network there that deployed this this young girl. Margaret Small was, uh, you know, it was kind of a mystery who that girl was. And someone at the York County History Center came across a name, and it was just to, just a name, the daughter of William Small. And then they started doing uh, a, a lot of uh, doing homework and found out it. He only had one daughter about that age, and uh, so that was that was likely. Uh, and sadly, she died about a year later. You know, so she didn't live a life who, uh, that she could tell about that incident. Any idea who wrote the note? Yeah, that's a great question. It was written in a woman's flowery handwriting, to use John Gordon's post-war exact words. Uh, there were certainly spies active in this region, uh, and there were plenty of Confederate sympathizers, but the author of the notes never truly been identified. Uh, there's supposition as to who the spy might have been, uh, but nothing's ever been proven. So uh, to my knowledge, uh, that'll go down as one of the undying mysteries of who actually wrote it. So this is not just accepting the, uh, or passively watching the Confederates march through. This is helping them rat out the union. In that case, and of course in other cases, people uh, shuttered their houses and hun hunkered down. So it, it, was, uh, it was very much a mixed reaction. Mm -hmm. and, and likely the, the case in point that I've in mind involved in the PA small family, the dominant family in town, uh, where they did, they hunkered down in, the, in, the, in their townhouse. Uh, and they were, they were Republicans. And so I think there was, there was some correlation between your politics and whether you connected with the soldiers. And, and again, the, the, the dominant view, the dominant population in your county were, were Democrats. So there was, they didn't feel the, the in this case, the pro, uh, pro, they, they didn't worry about doing that from a political point of view. The Republicans intended to. Jim, while the Confederates were in town, did the newspapers continue to publish? They, they were weekly newspapers at that time, and they published uh, on June 30th. They published about the time that the Confederates were leaving town. One of the things that we didn't mention yet is that uh, they were there, the Confederates were in town for about, I think it's about 43 hours, almost two days. Fairly unusual, you know, at least in the north to, to, uh, to occupy a town for that long. So as they were leaving town, the newspaper said uh, the remnants of the Confederates are now heading out of town. So that was uh, Tuesday, June 30th. And in that paper, there was an account of the occupation the paper owned by the, the Chief Burgess, the, chief, the man who was, uh, who played a role, maybe a big role, in surrendering the town. How did the Republican newspaper report on it? The Republican newspaper, really at first, it was about two weeks later, uh, they, they just kind of picked up some of the, what was in the Gazette, the Democratic paper. But the criticism of the surrender came in immediately. It came in, the, the Harrisburg paper, the, the Republican Harrisburg paper launched against the, the Copperheads of York and papers outside of, of the area. Uh, and, you know, and the, the town's fathers felt they took to the Gazette to try to defend that action. You know, we were undefended. You know, we, uh, you know, we, we did what we thought was right. Uh, and 
and really it was it was a decision uh, you always have to try to av avoid the idea of looking back presentism where you look with today's eyes back there unfairly but it you know I, I, you, you would have to look back at that moment and say york really did draw, draw a line in the sand if york would have the york area would have said as Hanover did, as Scott talked about Hanover and Carlisle, where you kind of uh, are ambivalent or you 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 uh, are use passive aggressive. You don't go seek out the enemy and surrender. You know, if we had done something like like Hanover in New York, I think the town would be different now because the the discussion on the Civil War. Uh, didn't take root really through much of the 20th century. It wasn't really, uh, in, you know, a, a point of emphasis or even in, in the, at the 100th anniversary in, in 1963, the newspaper just ran uh, just a, a report, uh, you know, brought back old material, didn't do any analysis or didn't, didn't there was no activities to cover in New York. It, and so, uh, you know, it wasn't until about uh, 1987, on our 125th anniversary, that the Civil War discussion started again. And then uh, with Scott's books and, and so on, after 2000, you know, it's a main uh, focus of study in, in York now. But I think that there is something, I think because in the 20th century in particular, in the in late uh, 1800s, because we didn't really focus on the Civil War, we focused on the American Revolution. We had that Articles of Confederation thing going. Uh, we were proud of that, and we should have been. When you don't talk about the Civil War and the causes of it and the whys of it, you don't talk about race. And I, I think the two are bundled. And so York didn't really have a discussion about race. It, the Civil War discussion would have just brought that up brought that out. And so we were behind on discussion on race, and I think we still are. Was there a very big African-American population in, in York uh, in Civil War time? Yeah, I think the number was uh, 1,800 out of uh, 68,000. So, uh, it, you know, the York population as a percentage, African-Americans as a percentage of population, has remained pretty steady throughout history. And uh, so it was, there was about uh, 2,000 African-Americans in New York at the time. When the time, as the Confederates came up and came into the county, probably few of them were there, as Scott has already mentioned. They, they would have moved across the river uh, because the Confederates were known and they, everybody knew that they would send, if they were captured, even, even a freedman, they would send them back to uh, the South. Many African-Americans in New York County joined the Army? Uh, you know, Scott, you want you you want to talk about the fifty fourth on that? Yeah, uh, several men from uh, York and Lancaster County actually, in response to a, uh, appeals by Frederick Douglass, had traveled to Massachusetts uh, during the uh, late spring of eighteen sixty three and enrolled in the fifty fourth and fifty fifth Massachusetts Infantry, which were some of the very celebrated early early uh, Civil War black units uh, raised in the, in the north, at least. Uh, and so there were York Countyans who were actively seeking to join the Army, uh, but by the laws of the country at that time and also by the state laws and things, uh, African Americans were not being enrolled into regular military units. Uh, so a number of people took the matters under their own hands. In fact, there were 53 African American men, uh, black men, who worked uh, largely at the, the uh, rolling mill in Columbia, 
across the river, uh, got guns from the state militiamen, and actually engaged in the defense of Wrightsville. It wasn't until late July, early August of 1863, until after the Battle of Gettysburg, that the federal government then began uh, formally enlisting men in what was called the United States Colored Troops. And a uh, fair number of York Countyans uh, actually then in uh, the summer of 1863 signed up for formal military service. Yeah, we counted uh, six or seven uh, York folk, uh, African Americans with York County ties who served in, in the 54th, uh, the famous 54th on Fort Wagner that the movie Gloria was based around. One of those uh, workers from Columbia that Scott referred to was the only fatality, the only mortality in the fighting at Wrightsville. You know, Gordon came to the bridge, tried to take the bridge, the bridge, uh, the Union forces burned the bridge so uh, Gordon couldn't get across, the Confederates couldn't get across, and in that uh, skirmish, uh, you know, one of the uh, African Americans from right from Columbia who was digging the trenches picked up his musket and was facing off against this veteran Confederate uh, 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 onslaught, and uh, he was decapitated by a cannonball and died. He was the only only mortality of that battle. Uh, and, and interestingly, you know, uh, he was forgotten. We don't know his identity today. Another one of those mysteries. Uh, you know, interestingly, just north of Wrightsville, along the uh, river, there was a Confederate uh, soldier, a dead Confederate soldier uh, found. And over the years, uh, his grave was marked. We don't know who he is, but his grave was marked. And several um, uh, tombstones have been placed there, markers have been placed there over the years. So he was recognized. The, until 2013, there was no recognition of this uh, black fighting man in, in Wrightsville or in, in York County, no recognition of his hero, heroism. And then in 2013, uh, there was uh, the uh, American Legion in, in York, the African -American, American Legion in York said, we're going to recognize him, and they did. They, they uh, got a, a, a large stone and put him in an African American cemetery in Wrightsville. Another African-American soldier you write about is John Aquila Wilson. Right. Who is he and how did he come into your attention? Well, uh, John Aquila Wilson was a 15-year-old uh, at the time of the Gettysburg uh, campaign. He worked in the rolling mill, uh, and he was one of these 53 uh, free black men uh, and boys, in this case, that volunteered to uh, help start by digging trenches in Wrightsville to help... Uh, defend the town, and then, uh, as mentioned, the state militia gave these guys uh, guns. Uh, they didn't have uniforms, but they had plenty of courage, uh, and so he ended up uh, fighting in the trenches of Wrightsville. Uh, then he was one of the men that joined the U.S. Colored Troops uh, once they were formally organized, uh, and he would go on to be the last uh, Civil War veteran who had been raised in York County to die in York County. Uh, when he died, uh, I think Jim, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around the World War II time frame. Not, about 1942, he's 101 years old. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, the, you both referred to Wrightsville. Can you, for people who are not familiar with it, can you explain how Wrightsville fit into the whole picture? Yeah, that's, uh, Wrightsville is about 10 to 12 miles east of York, uh, depending on where you draw York's boundaries today. Uh, but. It was important standpoint. It sat on the Susquehanna River on the U.S. today's U.S. Route 30, uh, on the easternmost part of York County along that road. 
uh, fronting Columbia, Pennsylvania. Uh, now, the importance of Wrightsville was the fact that from Harrisburg south to Conowingo, Maryland, there was only one bridge, and that was between Wrightsville and Columbia. So that became an important part of the overall Confederate strategy, and again, initially to burn the bridge to keep reinforcements to come from Philadelphia in interfering with the uh, Confederate plans to fight a major battle somewhere in south central Pennsylvania. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, you know, that bridge uh, ended up, Confederates wanted to take it and the Union ended up burning it. So they kind of flip-flopped their positions. Yeah, that was, it's interesting that there was a skirmish, uh, there was fighting, there was resistance in Wrightsville. There was a, a major cavalry clash in Hanover and there was fighting elsewhere in York County. but. And that's part of the York story. There wasn't in York because of the surrender. And so when, when there's a celebration, like in 1963, there would be newspaper coverage of, of the Wrightsville skirmish, the Battle of Hanover, but nothing in York. In fact, they had major reenactments in both Hanover and in Wrightsville where uh, significant numbers of out-of-staters even came to those two communities to watch the mock or sham battles that were taking place but as Jim mentioned, there was no such thing in downtown York. Do you find some uh, almost embarrassment today that uh, among people in York that they didn't put up more of a fuss? Well, I, I think that that is part of the identity that we can't we can point to American Revolution successes, World War II successes, but in the York area, not to civil war. And it's, it's too bad. And one of the things that we've tried to do, and this is Scott and my fourth collaboration, we've tried to bring the significant things that did happen in New York, uh, the uh, U.S. military hospital, major U.S. military hospital in New York. Uh, there was a, a camp for green troops and tens of thousands of green troops early in, in the war. There was, so York was significantly involved in, in the civil war. It just, at this time frame, it kind of subsumed everything else. It sucked the oxygen down to the out of the historical narrative for 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 decades, and now now it's being discovered or rediscovered. Uh, so, yeah, to add to that, uh, what Jim just said, one of he mentioned the United States Army Hospital in York, which frankly Yorkers should be far more proud of this facility than I think most people even are. Uh, during the course of the Civil War, 14,000 uh, wounded or ill men were treated at York. It was one of the larger military hospitals in the entire Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But it was the safest U.S. military hospital in the entire country. Uh, out of those 14,000 men, only 200 or so actually ended up dying uh, at that facility, making it an incredibly safe uh, facility, uh, one that you actually, men wanted to go to York uh, because they had a higher chance of recovery in that hospital. And part of that was due to the uh, uh, workings of the Colonel, uh, or actually Major Henry Palmer, who ran the hospital the first two years. Uh, later, he co-founder of the American Medical Association and the General Hospital of Milwaukee, but his uh, forefront and innovative practices of that hospital led to a safety record, and we almost never talk about that as one of the triumphs, if you will, of York during the Civil War. Yeah, and you know, today you'll hear some people argue, as they did at the time, that it was a business decision. You know, uh, you surrender to try to keep the uh, town intact and the people intact in the town. So, of course, it's defensible. Uh, you know, and then you could argue, well, you give up your honor, uh, you seek out the enemy in a, in a military theater. Uh, you know, you give up your honor when you do that. Uh, you know, and uh, another thing that we, uh, you know, in terms of what York give and this give, gave, uh, and this is often overlooked, more than 600 
uh, fighting men uh, died in uh, in battle or in camp. So it was, it was a major sacrifice. It was so it, it, such dis disruption in in your county, and I'm, I'm sure it was elsewhere in the war too. I know it was that they built an orphanage after the war, uh, at the t at the end of the war. So the families were were, were terribly disrupted. And in, in, an interesting point is in not, in 1864 they could take uh, the the, the uh, those in the military, the fighting men, could vote, and the York vote among York units was York backed Lincoln in, in 1864. The York soldiers backed Lincoln in 1864. The town, the county, did not. The fighting men did. An interesting dynamic there. And when the Battle of Gettysburg took place, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, how was the effect felt in York County? I think there were a couple of impacts. Number one, a lot of the ladies of York, uh, Jim had mentioned uh, Mary Fisher earlier, uh, from who wrote, coined the term the Dogs of War in our midst. Uh, she helped organize a number of uh, York women that actually were raising supplies. Uh, wagon loads of supplies were coming in from all corners of York County to a central assembly point uh, in York. And from there, they were being taken and ferried west uh, to York. Uh, Mary Fisher herself uh, went over as a nurse uh, to help uh, with some of the wounded after the battle. Arthur Briggs Farquhar, the man who precipitated the surrender of York himself, uh, went to Gettysburg on July 2nd. He was actually present for part of the battle, uh, and he was working to help carry the wounded off of Culp's Hill and Cemetery Hill uh, after the Battle of Gettysburg. So uh, the county reacted fairly strongly. Uh, again, you know, for a county that didn't really vote for Lincoln, they certainly were well uh, willing to support the you know, taking care of the wounded. And then uh, more than a 1,000 wounded uh, soldiers from the Battle of Gettysburg were brought here to York in the U.S. Army Hospital, and the townspeople helped feed them. They helped take care of them. Uh, and here's the irony. Uh, in Hanover, a town that was actually had a Republican newspaper as the dominant newspaper, uh, the townspeople weren't as thrilled to, have, uh, to take care of the wounded after the Battle of Hanover as York, a Democratic town, was uh, after the Battle of Gettysburg. So the, the, ir the ironies and the dichotomies in this county continue to amaze me. Yeah, you know, uh, throughout um, the, the war, the, the women of, of York uh, were very supportive of the hospital. Uh, they were supportive of the, of the camp, Camp Scott, where the green troops were, uh, you know, were trained early in the war. So, you know, it's kind of like you, you, you hate the war, but you love the warrior. You know, and that's that applied in, in at least in the York area and throughout the county. If you visit downtown York today, what looks the same as it did when the Confederate troops marched through? Yeah, some of the uh, some of the signature buildings are still there. For example, there's a building on uh, on the, the square called the Hartman Building, which is varied in height from five to six stories over the years, and that would have been front and center whenever the the Confederates came, uh, you know, came into to town. They would have been amazed. In fact, they were amazed at the buildings in York, and and they were amazed at the size of the barns throughout York County. They were in the, coming from the south. They weren't used to those large bank barns that, that we had up here. The barns pointed to the uh, prosperity of the area, you know, the, the rich farmland in, in the area. Uh, so there was uh, another thing that, uh, hasn't, that has not been uh, evident until recently was uh, things that point out 
uh, you know, modern days to the Confederate occupation. There was, uh, there, there were, in the York Square, there's something like 13 markers or some type of uh, nods towards the American Revolution, towards with the courthouse being in the square. But until in the last 10 years, there's only been about a, a couple signs that have gone up in, in the square. In the York area, there's only uh, two Civil War monuments, uh, Union monuments, one at Penn Park and another one at a small park in, in the West End. So uh, York, in, in many ways, though, you know, York's catching up as the Civil War discussion has, has, uh, has gone on. Hanover has a significant signage program uh, going down there. There's a signage program that Scott's part of uh, out in Wrightsville you know, to try to explain the, you know, what went on. We only have a minute or two left. Scott, you get the last word. Okay, well, yeah, obviously we want to uh, talk about the fact that, you know, despite York, you know, surrendering probably the one aspect that people thought, think about the most when they think of York County during the Civil War, uh, you know, this was a, a county filled with a lot of surprises. Uh, there were a number of Confederates that marveled, again, as Jim mentioned, at just how prosperous and how uh, well-developed and how advanced this county was. Well, we are out of time. We've been speaking with Scott Mingus and James McClure, and they are the authors of this book, The Dogs of War in Our Midst, Civil War Perspectives from York County, Pennsylvania. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. Enjoying this podcast? Visit PCNTV.com to find out how to support our mission. PCN is a 501c3 nonprofit television network. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. Full episodes of PA Books, as well as other PCN programs, are available to stream with the PCN app. Visit PCNTV.com or the App Store for details.